if you'd like to know what your agency is worth and how a buyer might look at your agency, you want to see from the other side of the fence. So in this interview with Jake Schmidt, he talks about how they acquire agencies, what they look for. There's a ton of golden nuggets in this one. So let's jump in on this episode of the Agency Exits podcast. Hi, Raj Ja here on Agency Exits. I'm here with Jake Schmidt, who runs Structured. And today we're going to talk about something that's really interesting, which is kind of the other side of a transaction. If you're thinking about selling your agency, it's really great to hear the stories from the buyer's side. So you can look at how does that buyer evolve their business and what are they looking for? So Jake, thanks for uh, coming on and thanks for uh, sharing all you've got to share today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Raj. I'm excited to be here and share everything that I can about the process, what we look for and things to build towards so that you can eventually get an acquisition too. Awesome. So let's start out, but maybe if you, if you want to share how you came to start an acquisition strategy, right? Because I've talked to agency owners that might do uh, one here or there, like, oh, once a year, we might pick up a small shop here and there, but that's different from how you've kind of gone all out, pedal to the metal on this strategy. So maybe talk a little bit about how you got here and some of the decisions you made to build that kind of organization instead of a more organic growth one. Yeah, absolutely. So I started the agency with my partner, Nick, about six and a half years ago now. When we first started, we were a paid social agency. So we were doing Facebook ads, uh, Instagram ads, Google, all that kind of thing. And what we realized is for us to really have stronger retention of clients, which is one of the most important metrics that you want in an agency, is you're servicing your clients well, they're going to stay with you and they're going to continue to pay you. And you have that predictability. And that's a lot of times what buyers are looking for. So when we were there, we were doing really great within the paid social category, but we realized that we needed to have email marketing, lifecycle marketing, and other divisions too, because our clients were asking for it. I can't even count how much money we had spent trying to build these own divisions ourselves internally. We had a little bit of traction every now and again, but it was one of those things where it's like, there were so many headaches, there were so many roadblocks that we would go through. Whenever we would get one right hire, then we'd have four others that weren't the right hire. We realized there has to be another way. And that's whenever my eyes open to acquisition and acquiring people that already have that track record, they have the history, and they're just ready to step back. And a lot of times what you see too is in the smaller agencies, the founder's doing absolutely everything. And mm -hmm. they're ready to continue to figure out how can I make more money and how can I continue to grow within this agency, but I don't want to do all the things that's required to go from, say, low seven figures to up to eight figures. There's a lot of different changes and there's a different type of mindset that you need to have. And I saw that we had gone through a lot of those growing pains already. And we had a great place for uh, founders or uh, their team members to come in and be able to do what they do best, which is strategy, dealing with the clients, really focusing in and getting to be the best in class at whatever that discipline might be. Um, so the first acquisition we did was with Boundless Labs was a friend of ours, uh, Chase Diamond. And he was running his email agency. I think there were about seven or eight people at the time. And they came in and, and we did a, a deal where it was partly cash, partly equity. So uh, a little bit of, of both so that they still had some excitement within Structured. And that was about four years ago now. And mm -hmm. they've grown, I think, about 700% from the time of first joining to now. So I think it was very successful for them. Uh, and it was very successful for us as well. But really, to your initial question, why are we doing acquisitions? It's because we get the quality and the trustworthiness of a team that's already proven it out. They have clients, they have strong retention rates, they have the team that's there that's stuck with them. 
And that was really important for us to be able to continue to grow quickly because we also had customers and we spent so much time trying to build trust with them on paid social. That would be such a disservice if we're trying to figure out, hey, how do we actually build this service? And whenever you're building something new, there's always casualty to it. So figuring out what's the best way that we can make sure that our clients have the absolute best experience as they were getting with us on paid and now within retention and continued on with the different divisions that we're starting to roll or that we're continuing to roll more out. And I definitely hear this a lot when talking to agency owners, especially those who might hit some ceiling at the maybe the you know, three, five million dollar mark. And they're they've got a really good core service and they're like, okay, well, should I absorb more revenue by adding on more product lines or should I just attempt to take more of the wallet share of a given client? And then the way they go about it is as they have their founder hat on, right? The superhero entrepreneur hat. And they're like, okay, well, I'm really good at paid social. Well, I'll put my hat on and I'll become really good at email marketing. But so many of them realize how hard that is. And that becomes just like this little stunted thing on the side versus just really sharpening what they are really good at. So you're gathering those people together and letting them play in their field of expertise, which is a a different strategy and also means a different strategy for someone who might want to be acquired as well. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And I have this problem too, where as a founder, you have success once and you become a little bit delusional where it's like, oh, did I just get a little bit lucky or am I actually really this good? And from my point of view, I've always been humbled very quickly whenever I think I'm that good at something. And that's the reason why I just like to lean more on on figuring out people that have done it and providing them an opportunity and the playground to be super successful and continue to dial in on what they're doing. So I would say in terms of what are the things that we really looked for when we did that first acquisition? And when we did that first acquisition, I, I'm not going to say that I was the most, I wasn't, I was not nearly as smart then as I am now, I would say, and I'm going to continue to try to be smarter and smarter every single year that goes on. But I wasn't as, uh, I didn't have as much of a process around looking at what I was going to be acquiring. And now that I've done three acquisitions, I have a pretty good framework of what I'm looking for. The one thing is consistency. It all comes down to consistency. Mm-hmm and durability of the business. And I guess predictability would be the same as that. Because whenever I'm buying this, I'm putting my cash out, I'm figuring out, I need to make a return on this cash. And I can make a return on the cash, one, by just having the clients that are here and they're gonna mm-hmm. stick with me. Or if they don't have as high of uh, as high of retention rates, it's how are they gonna consistently continue to bring more leads in. And a lot of times whenever we do acquisitions, the way that we position it is the founder, they become really good at getting business mm-hmm. and then they built the machine or sometimes they become really good at the machine and they built it so that their clients are really happy and they stay with them for a really long time. And whenever they come in and they become merged into structure, it's like we're figuring out how do we do both of those equally as mm-hmm. well so that we can maximize the results. So the metrics that I'm looking for is what are the retention uh, of the clients as well as what is the consistent bookings look like? So how many bookings are you consistently getting over a three-year period of time, two-year period of time? And there's a lot of agencies out there that I see that don't necessarily have as much enterprise value is if they've started year one and they scale super quickly and it's awesome, it's great. But from my point of view as the buyer, that's a little bit scary because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next year. Maybe you just hit the right wave. You captured lightning in the bottle. I don't Mm -hmm. know. So I'm looking also for businesses that have been around. If you've been around four or five, six years, that's incredible. And that adds more enterprise value to the business because again, back to my original point, there's consistency, durability, predictability around what it is that you're doing. 
And then also another metric that I'm looking at that's really important is the team. In an agency, we're all people. We're just a group of people. We all have to work well together. And I need to know that the team that's coming in, like they're happy and they're excited about moving into a bigger agency. And they're also experts at what they do. And then also making sure that their culture matches what it is within the acquirer's, acquirer's agency. And I would say just until probably the last year, I didn't really understand what did culture really mean. And I finally realized that culture means it's a common set of traits that everyone is operating by. So for example, Raj, you and me, we're hardworking, or we're curious, or we're innovative within the tactics that we're using. And some people don't necessarily have that. And if you don't have that, it's like putting gasoline and water. They just don't, they don't work too well, or oil and water, they just don't match together. Mm-hmm. And that can cause way more problems than it's actually worth. So from the buyer's point of view, as well as the seller's point of view, those are the two things that you need to make sure line up. Otherwise, it's just not going to be a successful relationship across the board. So to recap, I would say consistency within your deal flow, retention of clients, and then making sure that it's a culture match. In addition to that too, I can go into the different types of acquisitions that can happen from what I've seen. I want to dig into one of those, Jake, though. I'm going to dig into one of those, like culture, because culture is this thing you know, some people say, you know, have this idea that culture is free beer on Friday or culture is, you know, how we treat each other internally. But it sounds like you're saying culture is something different. And no matter what, when you acquire another business or you're looking to get acquired, the cultures are never identical, right? They might be cousins, but how do you assess that? So when you're looking at it, I think it's really important for both the buy side and the sell side to understand what is the culture? So maybe just dig into a little bit, like you talked about that, we're kind of lean in people, right? And we're ambitious yeah. in a certain way, but how do you assess that? Not just with the owner operator that's selling, but also with their senior leadership and with everyone in the organization, when you can't necessarily disclose all of that to the entire organization that you're buying. So dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So I would say with any sort of purchase, you always have that inherent risk that you're not going to make the right decision. And from what I've seen so far is it's really hard to talk to someone and just have a conversation and understand what it is that they really do value. Like you can understand Mm -hmm. what they believe, but what do they really value? And structured, what it is that we value is the culture and we value and we believe it together. And that's what makes up what the culture is. So what the way that we do it, and I don't think this is the perfect strategy. And I think that we've made mistakes doing it this way and we're trying to get better and better. Uh, but whenever we're doing an acquisition of some sort, we have myself and then also the say six or seven other people within structured that are those stars. They are the ones that really show what it means to be a structured employee inside and out on a daily basis, interview each of the individuals within the team as if they were going to be a new hire within structured. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's like you have this period where it's like a little bit of dating period. You're seeing like, how do you work? How is it going? What's going on? Like, what are the results? Listening into client calls, looking into the Mm -hmm. Slack channels, seeing all these things, just getting transparency into their business. And then you're able to make a better decision. And I'll say that if you can get, say, 65, 70% of the team that's matching the culture, that's really good. And that, that means mm-hmm. that you have something there. But a case where they don't match it at all, say it's maybe 20%, it's not going to work out well. And the team's mm-hmm. going to eventually leave. You're going to lose clients because they have the connection with that client. And it's just it just doesn't work out too well. Uh, and again, to your earlier point, it's like I thought what culture was is it's 
community. Oh, we're getting a beer together. Oh, we're right. friendly. We like each other. No, that's not what it is. That is a aspect of culture because if you have these same common values and these beliefs, then mm -hmm. most likely you're going to want to hang out with this person and you're going to have community with these people. Uh, and it took me a while to really understand that, but I finally figured that out. And I'm like, okay, it's the most important thing. There's some yeah. famous quote where it's like, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's true. Like that's really as a service business, like your only competitive advantage is the culture within your firm. How mm -hmm. are you operating on a day-to-day -day basis? Because again, it's a group of people. There's no patents. There's nothing like that. You have your right. people. And I think that's a really nuanced thing that you come to, which is culture is the byproduct or the, or rather the community is the byproduct of culture. So wanting exactly. to get the beer with someone is because we share these other more fundamental values. It's not that we're getting the beer. So that's window dressing. And that is the byproduct yep. of it all. So I think that's a really smart distinction that you've made there. So the other thing, I know I interrupted your train of thought earlier, but I, I wanted to dig into a couple of these is I come across agency owners all the time that don't know their churn rate. They don't really know their numbers in the way that you've just articulated at a very high level that you're looking at them. So what should a, if you're serious about getting acquired or serious about just uh, you know maturing the organization as a smaller agency, what are some of the things that you should be putting in place to track? You know, you can go full on and make the data room from day one, uh, or you can at least have some dashboards. But what are some of the critical ones that on the first pass, you're going to want to know these things to know if there's even a potential of getting acquired? Yeah. So tactically, a tool that we use, there's no plugs, I have no correlation, but it's a really great tool that I use. And it actually helps me get this metric. It's called Chart Mobile. So you're able to plug into that and you'll actually get what is the retention rate. The target retention rate for me is if I sign one client in January, that following January, or sorry, if I sign 10 clients in that, in this January, the following January, I want to have nine of those 10 clients still with me, excited to continue on to that next chapter, which also is another point too, is having reoccurring revenue is really important within an agency because mm -hmm. you don't have to work as hard in the sales front and you do a really great job. You focus on the retention, your business is there and you're able to compound much easier and having this consistency, gro consistent growth is also really important metric that acquirers are looking at. But mm -hmm. yeah, back to my earlier point, that 90% metric, that's a best in class for an agency. That's really good. But I would say if you're at 50%, you need to really dial into your offering and figure out, hey, what's wrong with my service? Because I always see mm -hmm. people talking about, oh, how do you get more business? How do you get more business? It's like, hold on, let's flip it around. How do I retain more customers so that they're happy and then focus on getting the right type of business? Because I see this all the time too. It's like, it took me a while to realize this. Taking business in is as much about doing good work for that client as well as signing the right type of client. Because you can have a okay. client which their idea first coming into the agency is they're going to want to work with you for two months and then they're going to say, screw off. I don't want to work with you anymore. So being able to spot check that so you don't have to put most of the effort into the first two months because in my point of view at least is I'm the least profitable on a client month one, mm -hmm. month two, month three. Always. And then month four, once we get into the routine, we understand what's going on, I become a little bit more profitable. And I even tell mm -hmm. clients on a sales call or the person that's taking the sales call is like, hey, we only want to work with people that want to be with us for a long-term uh, relationship because we're going to be investing as much into you and we're expecting you to invest that much into us. And we know that's the only way we're going to be able to get the best results. So those are things that we're looking at. And it also, again, to my earlier point, another metric that I'm looking at from an acquirer is what is the type of business? So mm -hmm. what type of logos do you have? And I would say that might even be more important than 
or it's equally as important as retention because they go hand in hand is, mm -hmm. are you working with these fortune 500 brands or are you working with businesses that are say 30, 40, $50 million a year that you know, are going to be around for the next five years versus are you only working with businesses that are at say 500 K a year in revenue mm -hmm. or a million dollars a year in revenue. And I'm not saying that don't work with those people. Cause that's how I got my start. I was working through these really small brands doing working wonders, working miracles for them. And then one thing leads to another is your name, your reputation starts to get built and you start to go more and more up tier. But when you are to be acquired or you're going to sell, having those brand names, that can add a lot of value to what it is that you're doing. Because again, to the main core thing, what the consistency, the predictability, the durability, all that kind of stuff, it all comes back to that point. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because in the agency world, acquisitions are not terribly sophisticated at the low end. If you're a sub $10 million acquisition, a lot of the agency owners, they may be great business people. They may have fantastic client relationships, but they've never heard of quality of earnings or something like that, where it's like, no, it's just not that the fact that you have this number, it's who are they? Are they going to churn yeah. out? What is what, These are things that are not really thought about. So you have an agency owner, which might get a bigger strategic bump from going up market than mm -hmm. from doubling the number of little tiny fish clients that churn. So it's an important strategic distinction, it's like where am I playing? And then where am I going to be in five years when I either want to cash flow the thing and I have to deal with a lot of churn or I want to sell the thing and how's that going to look to the acquirer? Yep, absolutely. So being strategic with how you're approaching this, and I would say it takes before you sell, prepare a year in advance so that you can get all these things dialed in. So you have the best opportunity to be able to get the highest return on whatever it is that you're, what you're selling. Yeah. So talk to me about the management that you expect to see in an agency. Let's put an imaginary agency owner in our head and they're thinking, okay, two years from now, three years from now, I want to be able to have the option to sell. It's kind of me and I've got a couple of director level folks, but they, you know, really, I got my hand on the steering wheel all the time. What would you expect that person to be building as a management layer to be successful in either taking their hands off the steering wheel and having a little bit of freedom in their life or getting sold? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I would say that the most important thing is getting that relationship, that client relationship. You So empowering the people that you put into the position, say it's your director of whatever that division might be, empowering them so that they can own that relationship with the client. And they know that you are truly the operator of the business, you're the owner of the business, and they trust you. So I know a lot of times you'd be like, oh, well, the founder, they're the person, they're the smartest person, they know everything. No, actually, every single person in a division, a director, like they're smarter than me. Like I was smart right. at one point, but now they're way smarter than me. And I think that's a testament to building a great business is finding people that are better than you, putting them in the right position so that they can thrive and you can just continue to empower them. So I, th I would say that's really important in terms of like, I guess, an org structure is we have a director of each division, whatever that product mm -hmm. might be. So the retention, paid media, CRO, directors there. And then we have COO who's overseeing all client services. Um, mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, we also have a client services team where they're going in, they're handling the onboarding, they're handling the account management team. And they're the ones that are talking to the client, making sure they're happy, providing that feedback back and forth to the directors so that we can continue to go in and continue to make sure they're, they're getting what they need within the firm. And that's been a really important hire for us because it allows us to continue to get better and continue to ball month over month and improve our product. Because again, coming back to retention, that's the metric that I care about the most. So it's really about customer success and having that as a, for you as something across the firm, but as any agency, 
needing to think about that as a actual function of the company rather than relying on yep. they like me, the founder, as your retention yep. tool. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of times what we'll see is with um, agencies is the founder wants to leave. They want to be they want to be done. They want nothing to do. They want to go pursue some other opportunity. And if you have all the clients tied up into you, into your name, it makes it really hard to transition. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of the times you see so many agencies, if you're say sub $10 million transaction or say sub 5 million in EBITDA, it's just a big earnout deal. So you're not going to get a mm -hmm. lot of cash. It's like you're financing your own enterprise value of the company over mm -hmm. a long period of time, which I, I understand. Like I get it. I do those, some of those deals all the time. And it's important because if you lose that lead gen pipeline or you lose that relationship and the clients leave, then you don't have anything. You have nothing. Right. Right. So you've spent all this time and you've built an extension of yourself, not something independent of yourself as a business exactly. owner. And the key is that the entity is not you. So yep. I think that's a big mindset shift that anyone in the agency world, you know, acquisition or not, needs to think about is separating yourself from the entity. Completely. And yeah, you'll get so, a premium. You will get a premium yeah. from that if you're able to do that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's either you'll get a premium or actually you'll see the actual value as a company versus yes. you'll potentially yes. be an aqua hire or in an earnout situation. Do you have any um, stories that you'd like to share about either acquisitions that went particularly well or particularly poorly? Things that you've learned where you could share, oh, if only I had, if only the seller had done this, it would have been queued up for better success or, oh, early learning on doing an acquisition, I should, you know, do X, Y, Z in order to make it successful. Yeah, um, I would say that a good story of one that was really successful is understanding uh, is is the person that was acquired, they understood exactly what the rule was and they understood exactly what it was that they needed to be doing. So, for example, uh, we acquired an agency and we had acquired a skill set. So we wanted Google. We wanted to acquire Google media buyers and they didn't have a ton of business. They were relatively, they were smaller, but we did the acquisition with them and the, the team, they came in, they were completely decoupled from the client relationships. They had an incredible person in place that was able to manage all of those clients. And the team just transitioned so easily because we already had the paid media team and we needed more mm -hmm. Google. They were able to come in, continue to maintain those clients and go ahead and make sure that they were able to then cross sell into paid social and all these different services. And the ability for the founders to empower that person was so important because mm -hmm. we had another acquisition where they weren't able to empower those clients and the clients continued to went with it to this person and that person was completely removed and they wanted nothing to do. They wouldn't respond at all. Uh, and it just didn't work well. So back to our earlier point is being able to transfer that relationship over to someone else would be so important. Um, this doesn't really have to do with an acquisition as much, but it's a horror story that I just had uh, with, with someone in the firm where we had hired this new person and everything was great. They were awesome. They were working with us for about three, four months. And then all of a sudden he went to HR and he said, hey, my wife just got relocated to a different country. I'm going to be moving to this different country. And the person is like, okay, we're like, yeah, that's not a problem. And we had just put them on three of our most important clients' accounts. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it, it would be a little bit weird. The person wouldn't wouldn't answer messages to us. We had the contract sent over for 1099 because they were going to be in a different country. So we couldn't right. pay them as W2. And all of a sudden they get on a call with us and they're like, Hey, I just went over this contract and I'm going to need a 40% increase in revenue or in wages to be able to work with you. 
And what this person had thought was, is like, okay, well, I have leverage now. I've been onboarded to the most important clients and they're not going to be able to remove me. But no, I was like, absolutely not. The principle of this is not okay. And this is an absolute mismatch of our culture and how we operate within a firm. Yep. I can't do this at all. So we eventually said, no, you're terminated. You're no longer going to be with us. And I think it really set the precedent as like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And if we would have right. let this person back in, it just would have set the wrong foundation across the board for every other person. And that person ended up being very pissed off about not continuing to have the job. But I mean, you can't pull that type of thing. Yeah, that doesn't work. I, I know I had a account manager once and I'm not going to name names, but I had an account manager once. And at one point she went dark for like 24 hours. And that's, you're supposed to check in every day. What are you doing with your accounts? Yeah. Like, is everything on track? She went dark for 24 hours and I let it slide. I probably shouldn't have. I let it slide. It's like, I didn't ask what's yeah. happening and just going. And then two weeks later, she went dark permanently, like literally permanently, dropped everything non-responsive to clients, non-responsive to us. And she, at that time was carrying 30% of the client relationships and some really material oh. ones. And then we later finally got her on text message and she said, oh, my grandmother passed away. But we saw on Facebook, her grandmother is hugging her still. So like, okay, I don't know what this excuse was, but that was another one of those things. And I, you know, she essentially fired herself by just vanishing because yeah. I had to restaff right away. But it's one of yeah. those things. It's like on the first time that she vanished, I really should have dug in because that is yeah. not leaning in, not saying I will be unavailable at this time. So mm -hmm. I hear what you mean on the culture thing. It's just like, watch it like a hawk. <laughs> exactly. You have to. And the reason why I bring that up is I just want to let all the founders know is like, you need to be very careful because you do have the relationship with your clients right now. You can make one wrong hire where they look incredible. And if you rush it too quickly to offboard those relationships, it can be detrimental for you. And that's yeah. the reason why I had brought that up just to make sure you're very cautious um, with that, but eventually mm -hmm. working towards that slowly, but surely. And I'm, I'm confident that uh, you will find a great person because there's so many incredible people in this world that it, and it only takes one or two. And I think that also goes to your early point of not really looking at agencies that have grown too fast. It's not for right place, right time. It's not so fast to, it's not unheard of to say, okay, hit a million bucks in my first year. I've talked to multiple agency owners who have done that. It's not like the norm, but it is certainly possible. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, if you're growing more than 50% per year in a services business, it can get really wobbly, really fast. And that is just, to me, that, that's a warning bell that there's probably something that I'm going to find on the ops side where all is not right. Yep. I could not agree more. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was another topic that I wanted to talk about is I would rather see a firm grow 30% consistently year over year rather than mm -hmm. a firm that grew 70, 80, 90% year over year. Because what I know is I've done this and I know it's impossible to find the people that you need, that you're going mm -hmm. to be able to service the client to the level that they're expecting if you're growing that quickly. It's just impossible if you have any sort of scale. But if you're much lower, then yeah, you, you could do that absolutely. And it also goes down to what type of service you're offering. But anyway, commonly, you're not going to be able to scale that quickly. And it's just, it, it doesn't show sustainability because there's going to be something that's broken. And fundamentally, I also think just in this business, it takes a number of years to get your sea legs. When I think back, it's like the first two years, I, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And this would, that was not my first business. It was like my third business. And I still yeah. didn't know what I was doing for the first two to three years because it is 
it is such an agency is such a particular kind of thing, and each mm-hmm. kind is different. Whether it's a pay, you know paid media or a design agency or a dev agency, each one of them is their own kind. But it's such a unique beast that I kind of say you're going to have to be in this. Don't think that you're going to start it up and you're going to sell it in five years because you probably aren't. You can't compound yeah. that fast and have it be a meaningful outcome. So you're probably mm-hmm. in this for you know I was in for seven and a half years. So you know it's probably a five to ten year ride in order to get an outcome that you're going to be happy with. I completely agree. And I think that every day I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. And then because there's a new <laughs> obstacle that comes up every single month, it's like, oh, what am I doing? And I think it's, that's the fun of it is, yeah. is you're hitting this point where you're like, oh, everything is the worst it could ever possibly be. And then all of a sudden you have this breakthrough, you make that right hire, or you fix this process, or you add this project management tool, and then you break through the glass ceiling. And it's like, okay, I got runway for another three months before another huge problem is going to happen. And at least for me, that's what makes me so excited. And I get excited based on that uh, kind of push and pull of growth and, and stagnancy. So tell, tell me a little bit about, so you, you, if you do an acquisition and somebody comes in as the owner of another, uh, you know, their owner of an agency, and there's one model where it's like, I'm done, I want out. And then you absorb that the remaining staff in the agency, or they want to keep on working with you. What do those look like? Because I think that another thing that people don't always realize is what does life look like after the acquisition? Because it yep. is a rare circumstance where they're in an agency world where you just get a big check. Mm-hmm. So what do those paths look like, at least in your experience on the buy side? Yeah, definitely. So I think this would be helpful context. The way that I see there's three types of acquisitions, I guess two mainly. So you have a strategic acquisition and a financial acquisition, which is purely just say a family office that's buying this firm and they just want you to be involved and you just want to take chips off the table and you're just going to continue to compound. So let's call that the financial acquisition. And then you also have a platform. So there's three. So you'd have the strategic, which would be maybe these I'm talking about big agencies just go very large scale. So WP or Dentsu or IPG, one of those massive agencies where they'll just acquire you, they'll roll you in, you'll roll up into one of their divisions and you'll get paid a high multiple, but you're also going to have a high earnout too. So you're still going to be involved in day to day. You're going to be stuck there for about three years. So then you have the financial acquisition where if you're able to build your team enough and you have a, a great team, you're still going to, you're still probably going to be there, but you're not going to be as much. There's going to come down to whose relationships. Is this a real business or is this just like a freelancer that has an awesome freelancing practice? And they're just looking to compound this, grow slowly, and they have much longer time horizons. And then you have private equity, which could be basically a platform. So you'll have this platform where they find one company that's doing, say, $5, $10 million of EBITDA a year, and they're like, hey, they have three or four core skills or core offerings, and I know that I can buy them. I'll put debt on this business, and I'm going to bet on the CEO, or I'm going to bet on the CEO that I bring in. It depends on however that's negotiated. And their goal is to continue to roll up more acquisition, more agencies to build a large entity. I would say an example of a company that this did this incredibly well is Tenuity, which is a huge agency now. They did this super, super well, where they were just acquiring more and more firms. And then based on the fragmentation in the market, they were able to create a great entity around that. So each of those is different. And I would say if your goal is just to, hey, I want to be done with this. I just want to sell my book of business and I want nothing to do within the agency. You're probably best to go to a strategic. So a strategic could be WPP or something like that, or it could be one of these new platforms, these new rollups that mm-hmm. they already found their core platform company, and now they're just looking to add different capabilities. 
So if you're going to be a platform, then assume that you're going to get cash up front, but you're going to roll a lot of your equity and you have a grand vision that you're going to continue to do more and more of this in the future. And you want to grow a really big firm. But if you want to be a tuck-in is what it's called for a strategic or for a platform, I would focus in on doing one core offering. So what is your core offering? Are you going to be the absolute best at retention marketing? Are you going to be the absolute best at Amazon marketing? Focus 100% on that. And then you can go and you can be plugged into this platform and you can either one, be the director of this division, or if you don't want to do that, um, be like, yeah, I don't want to roll any of my equity at all. And I want to be gone. And I just want to be, I want to get the cash. I want to get the payday. So that's also an option too. I would say that unless you're focused on being a platform, don't necessarily grow and focus on multiple different offerings, focus on just one offering. Because like in my point of view, I'm not going to buy an agency that has four or five different offerings. I want to find one agency that has a complementary skill set. So they understand a little bit about my space, but then they have something that I'm not currently offering right now. So for example, mm -hmm. I would look at an Amazon agency. I'm not doing Amazon, but I know I have customers that are looking for Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that might be something that would be interesting to me. But those are the different types of acquisitions that you have. And if, and I think I answered it, tell me if it wasn't clear enough on like the different outcomes yeah. that you would expect. I, th I, th I think that's right. I, I think the, the way that I tend to think about it is if you want to maximize the, the number of opportunities that you will have and the size of the opportunities, I say go horizontal or go vertical, right? So do one thing really well, like I'm going to do, like you said, Amazon, and I'm just going to do be an Amazon agency, or I'm going to be industry specific, horizontal. I'm going to be full service for real estate, or as in my case, yep. full service for legal, because if you are if you're doing that, then you can have both a strategic acquirer in my case, somebody who want who is not in that market at all and wanted a presence in the professional services market, and we were their entree into that. So yep. it's that specificity that does it. The agencies that tend to have more trouble getting sold or getting sold for a good multiple is the grab bag of hey, I've got uh, five car washes, a law office, and a SaaS business. You know, those it's just like the acquirer is going to look at it and say, okay, well. It's a bundle of clients, but there's, how would I strategically do anything with this? So mm -hmm. I think that's the, if, if that's the situation that you're in as an agency, think long and hard about how can I go horizontal or go vertical in order to get better opportunities. And frankly, your selling will be easier too going, going Completely. forward. Completely. Yeah. Yep. I absolutely agree. There's a lot of value within being uh, a specialist in something. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about integration because I think this is the this is the most underappreciated aspect of acquisitions. I think when you, we knew mm -hmm. you and I talked earlier, you know, we kind of had a laugh about okay, well, everyone thinks that oh, the acquisition is the hard part, but that is far, pretty far from the truth. The acquisition is hard, and on the sell side, like guess what? You've got two jobs: you've got running the agency and keeping it running and keeping your numbers up, and you got selling it, and then you sell it, and guess what? There's probably a deferred component and now integration yep. comes. So let's talk yep. a little bit about that because I think that's something that is not often understood or talked about. Yeah, it's the hardest part. And it's the reason why there's so many bankers and private equity people that try to do this and they, they fail because they're not able to integrate everything together. Whenever you're doing acquisitions, it's so important that everything is under one PL. It's operating as a true company rather than just like, hey, there's this company because you're not able to get any synergy out of three things that are just operating within their own. It's really hard to do that, having these things decentralized. Uh, Warren Buffett did it with all these different type of fragmented markets, but within, it's way harder to do that. So anyway, 
integration is first comes down to the first thing is making sure that the team can integrate with your team. And that comes down to the culture, which we talked a lot about already and, and finding that true fit. The next piece is I've had two examples of uh, acquisitions. One went really well and one didn't go so well. And the reason why is I think it's because there's more service offerings. There was more team members. It was just larger and we had not done one that was that large yet. Mm -hmm. So the first one, it worked really well because there was about 12 people and they were one discipline and they already were operating in the similar CRMs that we were operating within. So we didn't have mm -hmm. to teach them anything new versus the other acquisition that we did is they weren't operating under the same, I'm sorry, not CRM, project management tool. They weren't operating under the same project management tool as we were. So they had to learn all new tools, client communication, and then also training the clients to be able to go and look at our new system where we weren't able to even change everything over for about seven or eight months because mm -hmm. it just took so long. Another piece that's so important if you're doing and you're going to be rolled up into a strategic or it is having your contracts set up so that you're able to sign those contracts over to that new firm. So there's this clause that you can add, it's called like the signability clause where it says, hey, I have the right to assign this contract to XYZ person if I so choose to, and they'll continue to keep the agreement that was initially signed. So having that's extremely important. And having a, a person that can manage all the financials is really important. A thing, a problem that I had is this is my fault for due diligence. And I learned this going forward was the terms of the agency that I acquired, their contracts, they were net 90. And I was typically mm -hmm. used to having 30 days or upon receipts of invoices. So what happened is it screwed a lot of things up where it's like, okay, now I'm floating all of the different individuals that I have and I'm not getting paid for another 90 days out. And then there's just, it just caused a lot of friction within the, within the agency that I didn't necessarily realize. So spotting that if you're acquiring an agency, looking at that metric is really important. Where are all the contracts terms? When are you getting paid? Are the invoices late or are they paying on time, having consistency? Because people, if you look at people's books, they can have... They can have lots of revenue, but if they don't actually collect that revenue, collect that revenue, right. then it means absolutely nothing. So just something to be careful with. Uh, but I would say that it makes integration a lot easier if you're able to use the same project management system and the clients are already somewhat familiar and you guys have a similar process um, mm -hmm. that you're working within on reporting and, and anything else. But yeah, I would say like having one person dedicated to that for at least four months is crucial. Typically, the sellers don't have to worry about this as much because they're not going to be involved in it. It's going to be coming down to the acquirer, but uh, setting yourselves up in a way that your team understands and they can start learning the new tools will be important. Because again, it's like you have feelings for your team and team members. I'm hoping you like them. You want to make sure that they're extremely successful in the new in the new agency that they're operating within. It's important just to let them know and let them familiarize themselves with all of the different tools that they might have to use. There's one other subtle nuance to that, which is if you do have an earnout and it's performance-based, it's absolutely yes. in your interest to stick with it and help your team through this because change yep. management is big. I mean, we changed our project management system twice during seven years mm -hmm. from starting out. We were on base camp and it was all janky and it worked when you're like tiny and then we had to change it a couple of times yep. and once to a more professional one. And then once when we got, we're getting acquired. We, I sold first 51% and then I sold the rest. So mm. we did this twice. And each time was a huge undertaking. 
So if you think about the huge undertaking, plus that your team has the uncertainty of, well, I've got this new boss, right? This new acquirer and all of that, yeah. they can take their eyes off the ball. And if you as the owner have a performance-based earnout, this can really seriously impact that. Anticipating that and then kind of sticking through it and not just checking out will, and being part of that change management will really help things along after the acquisition. Completely. And that's such a great point is if you do have an earnout, do as much as you possibly can to make it as easy as possible for your team, as well as the company that is acquiring you. And you're going to have a way better time going forward. I think the worst thing that could happen is if you're just like, hey, I have an earnout, but I'm just going to let it roll out and just say, all right, I'm done. That's not going to be effective for you financially. And it's not going to be effective for the team that's acquiring you. And it's just going to cause tension and, and, and not necessary not necessary things that's going to be successful for this relationship. So within the earnout, maybe set the standard where it's like, hey, if I don't expect to be working with here and I, I know that I have an earnout, but I'm counting that out that I'm not going to get the full earnout, just be upfront with the team that's acquiring you. It's like, hey, I can guarantee that I'm going to commit six months to this, to making this happen happen. But after the six months, I'm going to leave it more up to you because I'm selling my business to you for whatever reason, because I want to pursue other things. So it's important just to be transparent. And, and I think the acquirer will appreciate that a lot if you are uh, transparent with what you're actually uh, planning on doing, because it, it won't make a difference for them either way. Well, I mean, to them, you as an acquirer, you're acquiring future cash flows, right? You're acquiring exactly. talent and future cash flows. So what, whether or not that person's going to be there just handicaps what you're willing to pay for those future cash flows. Yeah. So it's really just comes down to math and what are you trying to build and what are they trying to get out of the transaction? So that's a relatively straightforward thing ultimately. So let me take the discussion in a slightly different way and talk. So you are acquiring a bunch of agencies. How do you present to them the bigger vision of what you are making. So for somebody who wants to stay on board, let's say they love what they do, but they're selling because it's like, you know what, I'm sick of the GNA and administrative stuff. I'd love to be able to cross sell instead of having to every sale be on my head. I still want mm -hmm. to be part of this thing. Talk about what that vision is so that people can get in their heads, whether or not they might be interested in becoming a part of something bigger, or there's like, yeah, I'll be done. And that's not exciting to me. So help paint that picture. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to build the ultimate growth solution for brands. We want to be able to manage them in the core four areas that we're going to focus in on, which are lifecycle marketing, paid media, CRO, and then maybe potentially Amazon in the future. The biggest advantage that they'll get is if they want to stay with the firm is one, there's going to be a lot more opportunity. So opportunity financially, as well as learning different things. So within a lot of agencies that maybe they're single service agencies, they know lifecycle marketing extremely well, but they've always wanted to learn a little bit more about paid media, or they are only managing a team of six people and they want to manage a team of 25 people. Like that's all possible within a bigger firm because you're able to have more opportunity just because the sheer size of that firm. And that's something that people like a lot. In addition to that, it's also, they're coming into a firm at a much higher level than they would if they just went and tried to go work for an agency. Like they have that credibility, they've built something, they've proven themselves out where they don't necessarily have to deal with the political side of things where it's like, oh, now I need to make sure this person's happy so I can continue to climb the ladder where they just get to step up and be a leader within a bigger firm and ride the wave of that. And then I would say the biggest area that people get most excited about is focusing only on the things that they want to focus on. Because again, as a founder, where they're having to deal with account receivables, they're having to deal with collections, they're having to deal with invoicing, they're having to deal with 
hiring and recruiting. They're having to do with HR, HR yeah. compliance, <laughs> all these different things that they just get no joy out of at all. And what yeah. they want to do is they want to continue to sell more. That's it. They want to focus all their energy on selling more. There's an opportunity for them to do that. Or, hey, they want to focus on, I want to be the most influential person I could possibly be. And I want to post a ton of content, which I know is going to drive leads. And I also know that by me putting content out online, I'm going to build a brand that I can then go use in the future. And that yep. plays within the structure or within the agency. And they're able to go and pursue that while also providing value for the firm. So it just gives them more options of what they yeah. want to do. And they're able to focus in on that. Yeah. Well, Chase has certainly done that under your umbrella. He's yep. really prolific and you know, created a, an amazing personal brand off of you know, a platform. Exactly. So doing more things like that. And that's what people really get excited about. Mm -hmm. Cool. A anything else that you'd like to share in terms of lessons learned or things that you, know, you wish you'd known five years ago, early on in the journey that someone who's watching this, who might be, you know, they've got an agency, it's successful. It's it, it, there's some, they're thinking about what's my exit going to be. What are just a couple of things that, that you would give us as takeaways that you wish you'd known? Yeah, it takes way longer than you think. That's number one thing that I've realized. People is, it's the most important thing in your business and finding the right people, even if that means you're going to sacrifice revenue, hiring the right person and making sure that they are taken care of and they're excited about continuing to work at the firm. That's so important. And then making sure you're focusing on culture, which is again, to the people part. Those are the mm -hmm. three things that are have really stuck out to me this year. There's everything else is sure it comes like, all right, business, you need to keep having business in. But what I found is if you're in this for the long haul, you hire the right people and you take care of those people, that business will come because you're providing mm -hmm. great results for your firm or for your clients and your firm and people will be attracted, you'll get referrals. But then also like a tactical point of view is within an agency, if you're looking to be acquired, it's all about EBITDA. So what is your profits? Like that's what the acquirer cares about the most is how mm -hmm. much profit is this producing? So being very specific and, and looking at making sure you're checking that month in, month out, and you're profitable and you're making the money you're looking for, that's going to be the most important metric. And then all the other metrics that I've explained, those are helping metrics to get to that profit that you're, that the mm -hmm. person is, is going to be acquiring. If you don't have a dashboard, you don't have anything. But if, you, if you're just showing up every day, yeah. that, that's great. So before we wrap up, Jake, maybe you can tell me this is yeah, it's your time to pitch. Now, if there, what kind of agencies are you looking for? Who should reach out to you? What are the kinds of opportunities that people might have uh, to either work with a structured or to be acquired by structured? Yeah, absolutely. So we offer lifecycle marketing, paid media, and conversion rate optimization. And we'd love to continue to take on more brands there that, that fit, say, five to $100 million a year in revenue. But in terms of us looking for agencies to acquire, we're really interested in retail media right now. So Amazon, Target, if you're a specialist there and you have really great brand names, that's interesting to us. In addition to that is I'm also extremely interested in data and analytics. So bringing a team in that can help us more there. That's also really interesting to me. I'm not as interested in paid media. I think we have a really good grasp there. And also not as interested in uh, lifecycle marketing. I think we've done a really good job there. But if there is a team that is, say, a specialist in Braze or Salesforce, that's something that could be interesting to me as well. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing all the inside secrets on the buy side, because I know that's something that I know that as a seller, I didn't have 
I didn't really fully appreciate how the buyers looked at it. So I think you've shared a, a lot of really important stuff today. Amazing. Thank you for having me. And if you guys want to follow me on socials, I'm I am Jake Schmitz on Twitter and then LinkedIn. I am Jake Schmidt. I put more content on LinkedIn, but I'm on both of those. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Thank you.